words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You probably know the story of the two young boys who went to a local parish Episcopal school. They kind of came from a rough background and they were always getting in trouble. And if trouble arose, they were the first suspects. And their mother was just kind of getting beside herself. So she took the youngest son, young Eddie, to see the priest of the church. And she had asked the priest, can you please have a talk to my son? They're getting into so much trouble, they need to change their ways. So the priest agreed, and uh, mom brought the, Eddie to the church at the appointed time. The secretary showed him into the rector's the priest's study, and the priest thought that he would leave him in there to stew by himself for a minute to think, surrounded by scholarly books and degrees on the wall and religious iconography. And then the priest thought he'd come in and take a different tact. And he sat down straight across from Eddie, looked him in the eyes and said, Eddie, where's God? Eddie had no idea what he was talking about and just remained silent. After a couple moments of silence, he said again, a little closer, a little louder, Eddie, where's God? Eddie, by this time, was starting to sweat a little bit, wondering what was going on. And the last time, the priest leaned in even closer, even louder, Eddie, where's God? Well, Eddie jumps up, bolts for the door, runs out the church, down the street, gets into his own house, finds his brother in his bedroom, slams the door shut, and says, Johnny, the church has lost, lost God, and they think we're to blame. <laughs> They've lost God, and they're blaming it on us. My question today, has public education today lost God? Is it losing sight of God and of faith as a necessary component to truly understanding our reality? Has God become optional, irrelevant, or worse? Has it become a detriment to true learning? Well, today we celebrate our own, our very own St. Francis Episcopal School, a school where God is at the center. A little group of people back in the year 1949 got together and decided they would start a mission in this part of the city, and shortly thereafter decided they would also start a school, a rather auspicious endeavor. And here we are today, some 60 years plus later. So I think mainly the school wants to say thank you to the church. Thank you for starting this thing. Thank you for supporting us. At our St. Francis School and Church, uh, get along much better uh, than could, or in many cases. It's hard to be a church and a parish school together. And I think uh, under the leadership of Father Bates, Mr. Lovejoy, we do an, they do an excellent job. Uh, who here went, grew up going to this church? Did, Ed, did you go to school here as well? No? Okay. So Danny Parker went here. Dick Wright, how long have you been at school, you and Martha? 45 years. Awesome. I mean, and I know there's a bunch of other people too who have labored hard for this to happen. Leaders who embraced a vision of educating our children to make this world a better place. I want to say thanks to the board members. Put your hand up if you are now or ever have served on the board of St. Francis School. Anybody else? Thank you, Mark. There we go. Thanks, Lizelle. Uh, the faculty. Thank you to the faculty. I wish I could take time to tell you about each and every one of the faculty who not only teach, 
but encourage the kids and come early to tutor and stay late and go to their games and encourage them and laugh with them. I'd like to point out that uh, uh, our science department, Debbie and John Madden, try to show the kids how faith and science inform each other and enrich each other and they're not at competition and mutually exclusive. I like to tell kids who come for choir or in the music uh, program that I think the only faculty we have on staff who actually played college football, Mr. Keith. There we go, Mr. Keith. Ryan Cottrell, who helps in our lower school to come back to school as a vet to know understand what happens in war in the military and enrich our kids. And on and on. I just, I look at, it's great to have you guys here. I need to know my colleagues. It's really intimidating to preach in front of your colleagues. And, and Wendy Heineman over here, my colleague in crime. Uh, all the support staff who have worked here faithfully, like Rosie and Jose and Robert, and all the different departments that work behind the scenes. Maybe not hardly ever see the kids. The kids hardly ever see them. But without what they do, we wouldn't be here. I'd like to thank our parents who pay a lot of money to come to our school. And we wanted, we do as much as we can to make every penny worthwhile, that it makes a difference. Pray for our students. I would have been a mess growing up as a kid in this age with social media and cell phones and all that kind of thing. It's a, such a challenging thing for our children today. And the supporters, people who support and go above and beyond tuition. And our alumni who come back. Any, any alumni over here? Alumni from St. Francis? We have some alumni on our faculty. Awesome, thank you. So, have we lost God? And are, is the public school blaming us for the consequences of losing God? What happens to our children when education loses sight of God and faith in that dimension? The separation of church and state, as envisioned by our forefathers, does not mean that we need to leave God out of the equation or out of the public arena. It doesn't mean that we disenfranchise those who have faith. What is it that education is trying to accomplish? It's interesting, some of the words we use for this endeavor or institution, we call it the school. So those who come should be scholars. Doesn't mean you're a good scholar, it just means you're a scholar comes from the Latin and the Greek, scholae, a place where you have discussion and instruction. But it also, they pointed out that the original meaning of that scholae word was a, a time to have free time and leisure. And the, the Germans have an uh, interesting word, the gymnasium or gymnasium, what they call their high schools in Germany, bringing out the fact that it's important, this balance between academic pursuits and play and our body and competition. And the Germans also have the word for kindergarten, seeing students as young plants and teachers as gardeners who try to, to do what they can for their growth. Do you know the, the uh, piece by Robert Fulgham, All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? He says, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but they're in the sandbox at school. Here's what I learned. Share things. Play fair. Don't hit. Put things back. Clean up your mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Maybe not in that order. <laughs> warm, uh, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. 
learn some, think some, draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out in the world, watch for traffic, hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows why, but we're all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all. Look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere, the golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and equality and sane living. Thanks, Robert Fulgham. That was great. What does faith bring to the enterprise of education? How does a school with an Episcopal identity do it any differently? Well, I like to think that one of the things we do is that we become a place of nurture. Sally Woolrich, whose mortal remains are in the columbarium at the back of the church in the narthex, used to say that the ground was soft at St. Francis. And and if people failed or fell or tripped or stumbled, they could get up, dust themselves off, and have a second chance. It's a place to nurture the heart, to acknowledge that we have souls, to stretch the mind, to steal the will in virtue and character, and prepare them to face the challenges that they will undoubtedly face. It's always a danger to lose sight of God. It even happens in faith-based schools. For God to slip from the center to the periphery, to see God in faith as an addendum or put it in a silo. And then we lose sight of the true function of education in our Episcopal schools. So if we just stuff our minds with good knowledge, it's very easy for it to feed our pride and for a good education merely to be a personal competitive edge or a path to privilege and entitlement or beneficial connections. But rather, we need to feel, feed our mind and warm our heart so that what we do with this knowledge helps others and makes this world a better place. With God at the center, we have a much bigger task than just grammar and history and science and math because kids need to learn to be good, to be kind, to be gracious and generous, to be resilient and determined, to work for peace and justice, to learn how to have conversations with people who see things differently, conversations that don't disintegrate into a shouting match or all caps or ad hominem arguments. And so the mind is important, but it is important in connection with the heart. Our scripture passages today talk a lot about persistence and perseverance. This lovely parable of the persistent widow who wouldn't stop going to the judge who could care less about God or other people, but just at least wanted her to stop, and she, was, she would not stop. In the, in the uh, epistle reading, it talked about how we're to be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. We need to embark on this enterprise with determination and passion. Do you know the story of Socrates? And one day, uh, a young man came to the well-known Greek philosopher, and he was rather, seemed to be rather casual and dispassionate, but he came to butter up Socrates. Oh, great Socrates, I want to gain wisdom and knowledge. I come to you. Well, the philosopher Socrates kind of turned on his heel and walked away from the young man, kind of strode away, and then in the 
Socrates. When Socrates got to his waist, he turned around and faced the young man and grabbed him by the collar and shoved him, plunged him into the water and held him underneath the water for 30 seconds. Brought him back up. What did you say you wanted? Oh, Socrates, knowledge. Socrates plunged him back into the water for another 30 seconds and brings him up. What did you want? Oh, Socrates, please, I want knowledge. And he pushes him back in for a longer time this time. And just before he sort of passed out, he brought him back up sputtering. And Socrates said, what do you want? And he says, I want air. And Socrates says, when you want knowledge, as much as you wanted air, come back and see me. And so we need to want it and desire it and understand why. And so in Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy and urging him, if you look at the passage, to continue what you've learned. Be proficient and equipped and persistent and proclaim and convince and rebuke and encourage and endure suffering and carry out your ministry fully. We need to be reminded of the great importance of education and of our role And at the end of the parable, did you notice that Jesus tells this parable about you need to be persistent in prayer? And then he ends the question. But will there be faith when the Son of Man comes back? Will there be faith? Will we do what we need to do so that our young people will have faith? That they'll have hope and fortitude in the face of this world, which is a wonderful world, but needs our children And so what can we do? We can pray. Pray for the students and the teachers and the parents and the leaders and the educators. But I think almost more importantly is to give them an example of lifelong learning, of don't stop asking questions, of model insatiable curiosity, and not to shut up and not to stop asking questions so that we begin to grow in our understanding. To be able to model, and I think this is really important in today's world, to be able to model conversations and discussions with people with whom we don't agree. And how to do it articulately and graciously and persistently in a way that doesn't degenerate into something that is driving us apart rather than drawing us together. To learn about our faith, to learn about the world, to use our mind to warm our heart and to steal our will to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all things hold together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.